The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law. We need to safeguard financial stability. 2024 is not going to be an easy year. We used to call it the dream of home ownership. But look at Britain now. We've got to hang on to optimism and hope because it is the biggest driver of change. Let's stop thinking of life in terms of Brexit. Let's move on and look for the future. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. I don't know if you've looked through the list of winners from the Golden Globes last night, Lizzie, but it's always one of those things that when you get up very early in the morning to come to work, as some of us do, it's something that you get to see the awards being announced, essentially, as you're on your way to work, Mm. more or less. So I was watching for some of the TV-related awards, Succession doing very well in the the Golden Globes, but it does sort of bring to mind the power of TV drama. And we've seen that play out in the political scene here in the UK because of the ITV drama around the Horizon Post Office scandal dominating the political conversation over the weekend. Of course, MPs back in the House of Commons today, which is back sitting. And that's one of the things they're going to be discussing. Many MPs calling for the post office managers convicted of fraud and theft because of the flawed software to have their names cleared. There are meetings taking place about this today. The Economic Secretary to the Treasury, Bim Afalami, has been talking about the need of a sense of urgency in resolving this. The legal redress has been working too slowly. That's why the Lord Chancellor, as head of the justice system, is now working to see if we can accelerate the process so that nobody has a black stain on their record. Well, over the weekend, we also heard from the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and the opposition Labour leader, Keir Starmer. The firing gun on the election very much has been sounded uh, and both of them in campaign mode. It seems like every broadcaster is going to be that way throughout 2024 now. It was interesting though to hear Rishi Sunak kind of confirming uh, one of our bits of reporting from Bloomberg uh, on the Rwanda migrant plan Mm. and there had been questions about whether he had doubts over the idea because it was raised under Boris Johnson of course when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor, uh, but Sunak appeared on the BBC's uh, programme with Laura Koonsberg. He said he always backed plans to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda, even when Johnson was Prime Minister. Uh, He just had significant doubts, but as you may well do about lots of policies when you're in Cabinet. So interesting to get him on that. And also uh, Starmer really goading Sunak to call this election, saying that uh, he was putting vanity before country, just wanting to clock up two years in office before he goes to the polls. Oof. And indeed, it does kind of seem that Sunak wants to stay in office as long as possible, but rather to get as much progress as possible under his belt on his five priorities. He's achieved one, but he's some way to go on the other four. Well, so that was some of the weekend TV drama. Now to a story that might sound like a TV drama that we're following today. China says it's detained the head of an overseas consulting firm for spying for MI6. 
The Chinese spy agency says the individual, who it described as being from a third country, provided the UK with state secrets and intelligence. We'll pick this. We're joined by our senior UK government reporter, Alex Wickham, and our resident China expert and Bloomberg TV anchor, Tom McKenzie. Tom, to you first, how unusual is a statement like this from the Chinese Ministry of State Security? Well, it's unusual on a number of fronts. And in my almost 10 years in China, I do not remember the Ministry of State Security coming out with a statement and with details like this. It's unusual in the format. One, they use WeChat, which is the kind of Chinese equivalent of WhatsApp, but combined with Facebook and TikTok. It's the platform and the app that, frankly, the vast majority of people in China have on their phones. They released the statement on WeChat, and then they gave the details as well. So the details around this alleged individual who the Chinese officials are saying is called Mr. Huang, who is apparently from a third country, so not from the UK, not from China, recruited from a third country. Again, those are the allegations. And also the Ministry of State Security in China alleging that this individual was trained and equipped here in the UK back in 2015 and encouraged to travel to China to collect information. They say that this individual was collecting state secrets and intelligence and feeding it back to the UK. So Alex, what have we learned, what have we heard from the UK side? Absolutely nothing so far. Uh, The British government is sort of maintaining its position that it always has on stories like this, um, that it just would never comment. However, we are sort of hearing from officials uh, more more off the record that, that they kind of don't recognise essentially what the Chinese government is saying. Well, on the one hand, maybe they would say that. On the other hand, there is this sort of uh, background context here that, that there is some tit-for-tat uh, squabbling going on at the moment between the UK and China over espionage. Uh, last year, the British government accused China of, of, a, of a series of sort of spying allegations in Britain um, and you know, all, all of a sudden, this allegation has has cropped up in China in response. Uh, it's quite a rare announcement, as as we were saying. Um, so, I think heavy dose of scepticism from the from the British side on this at the moment, uh, and it remains to be seen whether they'll sort of come out a bit more forcefully and, and try to try to shoot this down. Tom, this is coming after China's been stepping up anti-spying activities, including that opening that WeChat channel that you, you talked about as well. I mean, what ha, what has that entailed? And is this something that's broader than, than this case involving Well, it, it absolutely is broader. And the context is, of course, Chinese spies have been operating outside of their borders in countries like the UK and other Western nations for, for decades, as have, of course, UK spies and, 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 and US um, espionage uh, assets. Of course, that's been going on for decades. But what really trained was under the Trump administration, the Chinese response to the focus from the Trump administration on tariffs, the targeting of China, was a doubling down in terms of their national security apparatus and a focus and a prioritization of national security and state security under President Xi Jinping. And we've seen that come through. We've seen that with increased anti-espionage laws, so putting more laws on the books. Some of those came through last year. They're very vague in nature, very ill-defined. That, of course, gives officials and those ministries and those law enforcement officers in China wide scope to prosecute those allegations, but of course makes it very difficult for anyone investing there to know where the lines are and what lines you might cross. The consultancy uh, sector has been very hard uh, hard hit by this, most notably last year. A number of US consultancies probed, uh, researched, and many of their uh, employees quizzed as well by this. So it, it, it's a culmination of all these different efforts, but it's worth noting, I think, that this is an administration now in China that prioritises national 
national security and have really ramped up the ability for the Minister of State Security to to take action. Uh, and so we should not expect this to be the last uh, announcement or at least the last action from, from these officials in China. And Alex, what does it mean for UK-China relations? Because this seems to be a relationship with multiple personalities. Yeah, and, you know, Rishi Sunak appointed David Cameron as Foreign Secretary just a few weeks ago. David Cameron is someone who, historically at least, has been seems to sort of promote more of a warmer relationship with China than certainly some of the more hawkish elements of the Conservative Party in Britain. Whether or not that uh, is plausible um, at the moment is is, a, is another question. I think you know, there will certainly be some renewed voices in conservative circles that to suggest that this is sort of Chinese aggression basically against against the UK. Um, so certainly a bit of um, pressure on David Cameron, the foreign secretary, to to come out and uh, you know try and try and reject this and and, and have a, have a little bit of an explanation for what's gone on here. Uh, and it absolutely it does also apply a bit of pressure from the Chinese government on the British government over its own. Britain's own spying allegations against China, which is, I think, what British officials would say is going on today. Tom, from the Chinese point of view, is this a ratcheting up of tensions with the UK or is this something more fitting into what you were talking about, about this broader context of them them stepping up sort of a, a a national security approach. Well, I do think it has to be seen within that context. There may well be a retaliatory nature to this. Certainly, China has a history of retaliating. And given the arrests last year of individuals here in the UK accused of spying for China, it would not be surprising that China would try to find some way to retaliate. But I do also think it is in this broader context of a nation state that has empowered these bodies, these agencies in China, retooled them and given them extra scope because they are so concerned about these, what they see as legitimate risks around espionage. And there have been nationwide campaigns encouraging individuals and citizens in China to watch out for foreign spies, as well as these individual sectors that have been probed and then these new laws that have come into place to give these agencies and these law enforcement officials more powers. I'm really glad we've got both of you to give us the long view on the two perspectives. Our senior UK government reporter Alex Wickham and our resident China expert and Bloomberg TV anchor Tom McKenzie. Well let's get the view now from Westminster. We're joined by the Conservative MP for East Worthing and Shoreham, uh, Tim Norton. Tim, great to have you back with us on the programme. Now you're one of the MPs who's been sanctioned by China back in 2021 for speaking out over human rights abuses. So we wanted to get your perspective on where Anglo-China relations are now as we're discussing this news of this uh, arrest in China at the moment. I wonder how you view the situation between London and Beijing. Now we've had accusations, of course, of spying in Westminster as well. Is this a relationship that's getting materially worse? I I think the relationship is in quite a precarious uh, position at the at uh, the moment, and this latest arrest by the uh, the Chinese is is nothing um, new. And they're very good at arresting people who actually um, have nothing to do with any criminal um, activity. And they're also very good at um, sponsoring spies operating within various agencies within the, the United Kingdom. As you said, we had the story out of the blue last year about Chinese um, operatives within Parliament uh, itself, although we've still got charges to be uh, to be made there. I, I think the, the biggest issue around Anglo-Chinese relations at the moment is, of course, the Jimmy Lai trial, 
um, and the completely unjustified persecution of somebody who dared to speak out and stand for freedom and democracy in Hong Kong, which is something now in very short supply. Uh, and uh, he is, of course, a British citizen, and it has taken many of us uh, a lot of lobbying of the United Kingdom government to acknowledge that he's not a dual national, he is a British uh, citizen, and as such, absolutely deserves the protection of the uh, of the British government, and for the Chinese government to um, realise that they've got this show trial against somebody who is not one of their own citizens, he's a British uh, citizen, uh, and he deserves proper justice, which he's not getting at the moment. Tim, when we spoke to you last August, you said the government didn't have a clear strategy on China. Now Rishi Sunak has appointed David Cameron as foreign secretary. He was famously pro-China, not just while he was in office, but afterwards in his business dealings. Do you think that that appointment makes UK policy on China more or less clear? I think it's too early to to tell. And obviously those of us who have been sanctioned by China have been concerned by what was deemed to be the golden age uh, of of relations between China and uh, uh, the United Kingdom when David Cameron was uh, the Prime Minister. Since he became Foreign Minister, he has absolutely admitted that that age is long since uh, gone, and he has signed up to the government's policy on China, which is to be certainly sceptical, shall I say the, the, the least, and we brought in in the last few years, since David Cameron was Prime Minister, a number of measures against China, uh, about scrutinising investment of British companies in uh, China, about um, Confucius Institutes, about Chinese government and uh, Chinese company involvement in infrastructure projects in the, uh, the UK, which have been uh, restricted substantially, and that's quite quite right. And David Cameron has said, and as he must, and it's right he has, that he completely signed up to the government's policy um, on that. Um, so things have, uh, things have changed. Uh, but as I say, I think one of the biggest tests of whether China uh, is interested in being seen as a global player who respects the international rule of law is the prosecution going on at the moment of, uh, of, of Jimmy Lai. And that doesn't just have implications for Anglo-Chinese relations, but for... Uh, the way the rest of the world regards China and the, the way it's bringing oppression, now, I'm afraid, to Hong Kong, as it has through other parts of China, including Xinjiang, Tibet and, uh, uh, and elsewhere. But would you, Are you concerned that that trial happening at the moment could mean that relations between the UK and China will worsen while that's happening, I suppose, in, in a related sense? Well, I think it it will certainly worsen if as I fear, will be inevitable because this is a show trial under uh, um, a a law that has no legitimacy, um, is that Jimmy Lai is consigned to a long term in in prison. Um, That certainly can only damage relationships, not just between China and uh, and Britain because of British citizens, but for the whole of the West um, as uh, as well. I mean, this, this, this is a man who didn't uh, flee from Hong Kong. He stood up to face down the Chinese authorities in the interest of, uh, of, of free speech. He's, he's a very honourable um, man. He's not guilty of anything uh, anywhere else in the, uh, uh, in the world, and the Chinese are trying to make example um, of him. He's no threat to the Chinese um, uh, government. I and mean, if they were to say, look, 
um, we've decided after all we're not going to continue with this uh, prosecution, uh, then I think that would help considerably in trying to thaw the relations between China and Britain uh, and, other, uh, and other countries. Um, but if this goes uh, ahead with a, with a conviction, then why are we not sanctioning people? I mean, why is the British government not taking action against those people who have been party to this completely unjustified prosecution um, circus? Um, in America, they are sanctioning officials in uh, in China and in Hong Kong. Um, why on earth are we not as, uh, as well? well? And that's, we will continue to put pressure on the British government to, to name names and for there to be consequences of the action of the Chinese government. Well, this is a point that you made when we last spoke as well, as you called for individuals to be sanctioned for these reasons. Why has no progress been made on that sense? Are, are, is the government not listening to you and your colleagues? You make a very, you raise a very good question, um, because we are a bit of an outlier on this. While uh, the United States uh, government, through unanimous votes in, uh, uh, in, in Congress, is clamping down on Chinese action, is naming names and putting people on sanctions list, as the Chinese have to uh, five MPs, two members of the House of Lords and others um, over, over here. Um, and yet the UK government has not followed suit. We've been sanctioning Russians and others. We have the legislation to do it. We have the processes to do it. But Chinese government names remain off that list, despite the fact that we have a much closer interest than many, particularly in what's going on in uh, in, in Hong Kong. Um, and it's still a bit of a mystery as to why the UK government is not prepared to uh, follow our allies in taking a fairly obvious piece of uh, piece of action. And what we have done is to ban the Chinese ambassador and the embassy staff in London from coming to Westminster, but that, that was a decision made by Parliament, not by the by the government. So, as I've said to you before, and all the interviews I've done on this uh, on this subject, when you're dealing with China, it's not just a question of talking tough, but you have to make it clear that there are consequences if China, the Chinese government, continues uh, with its uh, actions and be prepared to bring through those consequences. If you don't do something as simple and straightforward mm. as sanctioning key officials who are responsible for some of these abuses of international um, law, including now the show trial of, uh, of, of Jimmy Lai, then the Chinese government just don't think you're serious. Finally, Tim, briefly, do you worry that this is just going to become another issue that gets sidelined because of the Louvain election? Well, it, it, it's not the number one issue on the doorstep. Um, I'm afraid I've, I've not had thousands of constituents writing to me about the, the Jimmy Lai uh, child, important though it is for international principles and, um, uh, and free speech. And so the focus in this country is going to be, of course, on the, the cost of living, the state of national health service and, uh, and education and all lots of domestic things. But I think increasingly people appreciate, certainly since what's been going on in Xinjiang and the oppression of the Uyghurs, that you know, a few years ago nobody would have heard of that. Mm. There is a growing... Uh, realization that actually the way we deal with China and the potential threats that China poses to the United Kingdom and to the Western uh, uh, world need to be taken uh, seriously. We've okay. had a really um, a big wake-up call on uh, on Russia over over Ukraine, with elections looming in Taiwan uh, itself and the, uh, the the bellicose mutterings of the Chinese government against um, uh, Taiwan. You know, these these are big global issues that will impact on the on the UK so we can't okay. just 
focus on domestic things in an election year. We have to look globally as well, and, and China is an important issue, and the way we deal with, with China is going to have an impact on everybody who will have a vote in the United Kingdom elections later this year. Okay, Conservative MP Tim Lawton, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Now, thinking about geopolitical relationships, this year elections will certainly have a bearing on them. In 2024, voters in countries representing almost half the world's population will head to the polls. And things are hotting up here in the UK at least. Over the weekend, we heard from both the Prime Minister and the opposition Labour leader busy staking their claims on the electorate. And Bloomberg's global business columnist Adrian Waldridge and editor-in-chief John Micklethwaite have a new column out this week discussing this crucial year for countries around the world. Well, Caroline Hepker and I spoke to Adrian earlier this morning and we started out by asking him about his global outlook for 2024. Take a listen. It's pretty bad. I mean, what we say in the column is that there is a 10% chance that things will be good. Now, that's a 90% chance that things will be bad. But I think we are trying to argue that we shouldn't completely discount the idea that some things at least might go right. Now, one obvious thing that will go right, I think, is that we will get a new government uh, in Britain with a new legitimacy, which is, uh, you know, a Starmer government, which will have a certain honeymoon and a certain momentum. So that will be one good thing in the democratic world. But there are a number of other things that we try and point to that indicate that, um, you know, things might go right. One of them is that you might not get um, a presidential election in the United States that features Joe Biden and Donald Trump. We might actually get a better, a better set of choices. One of the headaches for Keir Starmer was his position on the Israel-Gaza war. Uh, you write that the Israeli assault on Gaza has split the democratic world. How do you think it's going to play into the elections that we see throughout 2024? That's a very, very difficult question to, to answer. It's very difficult to see what the, the dynamics are. But there is some sense of things getting better, that the Israelis, I think, have made more progress in getting what they wanted than they expected, faster progress. And so they might be moving towards trying to resolve this issue. Uh, so there might be a, a, a calming down in the, in, the, in, in the blockade and the bombardment, and there might be some move towards, towards peace. And I think you're beginning to get agitation in Israel to get beyond the Netanyahu government. Um, people are now back on the streets protesting. Um, and um, so I think the, you might, by the end of this year, um, have uh, a more moderate government in Israel and a cessation of bombardment in Gaza and some sort of sense that you need to have um, a negotiation. Not We won't have a negotiated settlement by then, but we may be moving from a world in which there's just hostility and bombardment to one in which there's, there's, there's talk and thinking of you know, learning to live with each other a bit more, a bit better. Yeah, indeed. The optimistic case, um, no doubt. You mentioned, though, the possibility that US voters might have something um, more than, than a, a kind of rematch of Trump-Biden. Trump, Trump How likely is that, really? And, and who do you think are the runners and riders? What could be the upset? I mean, we're already at the beginning in the foothills of what is a very long battle in the US. Well, let me repeat, what we're talking about is a 10% world. Mm-hmm. We're saying that there's a 10% chance of, of things going well. We're not trying to be blindly optimistic. But, you know, the situation in America at the moment looks extraordinarily bad. You have a choice between uh, Joe Biden, um, who is 81 years old and shows it, I, I, I would say, 
and what looks to be Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the person that the Republican Party seems to be aligning behind. But I think, again, by November, we may get a different dynamic. Uh, we may get a, a shift in the Republican Party towards a different candidate. And I think Nikki Haley um, has been doing well in the debates. She's a plausible candidate. Um, and she's a lot more sensible and uh, and um, sane, uh, should I say, than, than than Donald Trump is, or a lot more a lot more reasonable than Donald Trump is in, in her approach. So, and I think if you get the Republican Party moving towards a different candidate, then that will set up a bit of a panic within the Democratic Party, um, and they might might move. Let's say Gavin Newsom has been, the, who's the governor of California, might has been positioning himself as an alternative to Biden. So a very bad choice, you know, Biden versus Trump might be replaced by a much better one with um, with uh, younger, more dynamic and um, on, on the Republican side, more, more, mm. more sensible candidate. Adrian, with your global business hat on, I wonder if you could settle something for me. A very wise veteran of British business said to me that if Donald Trump emerges the victor and Marine Le Pen in France, it's going to be great for Britain because you'll have lots of businesses coming to London. Do you think that's really true? Oh, absolutely. I think that if um, uh, one big bonus for, for, for Keir Starmer, uh, you know, if he becomes prime minister by the end of the year, which is very likely, is that if Trump does win in the United States, he'll be able to say to a lot of democratic liberal-leaning businesses, you know, why stay in the United States, which is being riven by, um, you know, the culture wars, and which has a very unstable president, why not move here? And there are a lot of mobile businesses. If you look at the world of hedge funds, if you look at the world of financial management in general, if you look at um, biotech, if you look at high-tech, um, why wouldn't you want to be in London rather than in New York? Uh, and London's rather a nicer place to be at the moment than New York, I think. But New York's, you know, very bad homeless problem. If you have a an unstable president, it's it's great for for Biden. I think also for, it's great for Starmer. And I also think that uh, you know, with what's going on in the American universities at the moment, um, Harvard and the rest, which are being torn apart by the culture wars, which are, which are you know really not a pleasant place to be because of. Of the degree of vitriol on both sides of the of, of, of the divide, you know, he might say, "Well, why not? Well, you know, why not mm. teach in Oxford? Why not teach in Cambridge?" So that was Bloomberg's global business columnist Adrian Waldridge with his thoughts on what's shaping up to be a big year for politics and geopolitics. Yeah, fascinating, keeping us busy as well. Before we go, just wanted to update you on a story that we talked about on Friday on the programme. You'll remember that we were talking about the uh, risk of local councils running out of money after the series of effective bankruptcy declarations we had some from some big councils, notably Birmingham. Over the weekend, we learned that government ministers are quietly working on a plan to loosen budget rules for councils that would allow them to sell off assets to fund frontline services. Our colleague Tom Rees reporting that the measures, if adopted, could unlock £23 billion pounds for local government. So this could be a sharp relaxation of the current rules around this as well. Um, Something that we heard from the Minister Laura Trott over the weekend about this as well, looking at it, saying that she wouldn't support any selling off of community assets in an interview on Times Radio, but definitely one to watch from here on out as well. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars wherever you listen to us, Apple, Spotify or elsewhere. 
This episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Marufo Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.